What a wonderful privilege we have today in this um, late Thanksgiving date. Happy late Thanksgiving date. We're so happy to continue through this chapter, chapter 24. As you heard, Pastor Corey, he mentioned this this morning. This is not an easy passage to preach. And today we will continue diving into this text. And my prayer is that we could be um, edified by this text. Many of you know my wife. Many of you, you don't know her, but my wife, she comes from a broken marriage. Her parents got divorced when she was three years old. And she grew up uh, with this, you know, dysfunctional relationship with her father. Every weekend, this man promised her to go and pick her up in order to spend time with her or for an ice cream. Every Saturday, she just um, dress up and, and, and wait for him, and he never showed up. One day, it was a special Saturday. Actually, her single mom uh, was studying French at her house. And one day, she, uh, her mom bought this new dress. So she dressed up with this new dress. And uh, her father made the same promise. Uh, I'm going to pick you up. I want to see this new dress. And I want to take you uh, so we may have an ice cream together. And uh, her mom, you know, moms, single moms tried not to speak bad things about their father. So they don't, she doesn't grow with this wrong understanding or with this dysfunctional understanding about what a father should be. So her mom you know, she said, like, I don't know, I have a study today with my friends. We're going to continue to study French, and I don't think that he will come. And Betsy was very, you know, um, she was very uh, eager to see her dad, and she was just dressed up, and she was in the window, same window that she always went to. And, um, well, she falls asleep while her father never showed up, but... Suddenly, she, she heard the, the, the doorbell, and she just ran to the doorbell. She opened the door, and she ran up into this man and hugged it and said, Daddy! Um, unfortunately, it wasn't her dad. It was a friend of her mom. This man, you know, he was so scared. He never came back to the study. Um, <laughs> It's the first time I'm in this house, and she's calling me daddy. The text that we have today, we will see the promise of Jesus Christ. He promised that he will return. And he's not like men. He will come. And I don't know if you are living your life expecting him to come. I don't know if you are living your life with your eyes put up in eternity. I don't know if, if you think that Jesus will return Again, but today the text that we have in front of us is a text that helps us, again, to, to strengthen our hope. And that's the intention of, of Matthew 24. I mentioned last week that every eschatological text, when we mean eschatological, we mean texts that speak about the future of times and times. All of them, they, gives you, they give us hope. And last week I did, I'm going to do it this week. Quickly, I introduce the four views that comes uh, that we have today that interpret this text differently. 
Because the end of that time has so many views. And, and, and all these four views has a different interpretation of Matthew 24. So that's why it's so difficult to interpret. Because we have so many good scholars who believe that the things will happen. The details in the events will look differently. So today I have some graphics, so I want to do it quicker, not just to get you, to confu- get you confused, but just to leave you a graphical view of this. We talked last week about historic premillennialism. And when we talk about historic premillennialism, we talk about this view that believe that before the millennium, this is one of the oldest views view we have. We have the age of the church, then we have the great tribulation, then we have the rapture, and the second coming of Christ, 1,000-year reigns of Christ, Satan is bound, released after 1,000 years, and then the final judgment come, and then we have new heaven and new earth. It's one of the oldest view, and um, this is different than the other one. We have the dispensational premillennialism, which is the next one that... Um, he believed that the ascension of Christ then began a new dispensation, the age of the church. Then we have the rapture. And after the rapture, we have seven years of tribulation. And probably most of us grew with that because the Bible is God-filled. As I told you, this interpretation came up in the 18th centuries and 19, one, yeah, so like 1880-something so we have this view that also made, this view became very famous with the movies Left Behind. And we have seven years of tribulation, and we have these seven years, which is an interpretation of Daniel chapter 9. And then at the half of these seven years, then the Antichrist will then per- persecute the people that um, stayed after the rapture. And then we have the second coming. Satan is bound for 1,000 years. 1,000 years after, then we will have the, the Satan, Satan released. And then the final judgment and the heaven and new earth. We have also, those are the premillennial. Pre, because before the millennial. Those people interpret Revelation 20, 1 to 4, as a literal millennium, 1,000 years. And that's the only time in the, in the, in the Bible that the, the, this millennial appears. It's just a couple times in Revelation. We have post-millennialism, which is the, the it, people call this the most optimistic one because they believe that the great tribulation comes with the uh, destruction of the temple. And then we're living the, the millennium, this present age. is a progressive millennium because of the preaching of the gospel the nations will come to Christ, and then Christ will return, and then we will have the resurrection of the death, uh, and then we have the new heaven and new earth. This interpretation also believes that there is an encounter in heaven, but not like we disappear for seven years, but is an encounter to return with the king. And finally, we have the amillennialism, which is the, probably, I, I mentioned last week, um, is the position that I am more like lean to into is the ascension of Christ represent the millennial as well, and because before of Christ the nation was were in darkness, there was not gospel, there was not God, 
uh, of, of heaven and earth, the, the God that created everything. It was full in darkness, the nation. When Jesus came, si Satan was bound through the work on the cross, and now the nations could be exposed to the gospel, and the light came to them. So we have the great tribulation that could happen any time, and then we will encounter Jesus in heaven, and we will come down with him, and everything catastrophically would happen in the same time. So the resurrection of the death as well, and then we will have the new heaven and new earth. So those are the views, and Matthew and, and those views interpret this text differently, um, but I mentioned last week we shouldn't lose the side of the original intention of the author of this gospel, Matthew. Um, it seems like for Jewish Though that a catastrophic event, such as the destruction of the temple, as Jesus prophesied, and the destruction of Jerusalem had to coincide with the end of the world. And we know that we may disagree in this, in these details. But as I mentioned last week, this is not a topic, an issue that should devise, should not devise the church. So three questions here in Matthew 24, which Jesus answered at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus is still addressing this question in Matthew 24. And, and those answers are also shown in Luke 21 and Mark 13. You can read the parallel text if you want to go deeper in this study. When we, the, the questions are this, when will the destruction of the temple take place? And Jesus already hinted at the destruction of the temple. And he continued to answer this question, but, oh, but then after that, he, after prophesying the destruction of the temple, he continued, he, go, he goes deeper in details. And then two more questions that he will begin to answer today as well, and we'll continue next week and the weeks after. What will be the sign of your coming? Referring to what we mentioned last week in chapter 23 Verse 39, that he said, For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is who comes in the name of the Lord. And then a final question, what will be the signs of the consummation of, the, of this age, the end of time? So we have these three questions, and we have to deal with this, and we will see how Jesus addresses this question in, the, in this chapter and also in the chapters ahead. And Jesus explained that this will not happen at the same time. Not one after another, but there will be a period of time between the first event, which is the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. As I told you, if you need this, Pastor Justin is ready to send you an email with the same graphic. So you don't have to take a picture of this because Pastor Justin has it and he may send it to you. So the answer regarding destruction of the temple here, according to Matthew, is very important. It's very important. Why? Well, because this was a prediction of something that they were going to see. It was a prediction of something that they, will, they were going to go through. There were very clear details so they would know how exactly this would happen. In regard to the second coming and the end of time, he speaks of the beginning of birth pains. You remember we talked about that last week. So we don't know now 
when he will come again, we don't know now. It could happen in 50 years, 5 years, 20 years, 10 years, 7 years. It could happen now. But he says in verse 36, and we're going to see it next week, nobody knows when he will come. Nobody will know. So now in regards to the temple, the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem, that's another thing. That's another thing. Don't forget, church family, that the Lord predicted in two occasions that, and this is important, that this would happen during their generation. And probably you know already that according to their understanding, a, a, a generation lasts for how long? 40 years. So, and it says in Matthew 23, he said that in Mark 13.30 as well. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed in their time. So they're going to be able to see it. And Jerusalem, of course, Jesus has to prepare them for this event. And that's why we see this in this text. We see Jesus in a very pastoral way warning his people to be ready because they will see these events to happen. Remember, we mentioned that last week. Jesus sought two things with these words at the Mount of Olives. First, to prepare them for the end of time. And second, to bring hope to his followers. That's the intention of these words in Matthew. To get them prepared and help them to get also to bring hope to them. So let's go to our text and to put the text in context. So let's remember that this is happening. We're in 33, AD 33. Okay? He's two days, probably two days away from his crucifixion. And, and, and another 40 days for his ascension. So he's very close to the crucifixion. We're in the Passion Week. And um, he, Jesus is stirring that many of them are going to be alive when this happened. And Jerusalem was destroyed exactly in A.D. 70, as Jesus predicted. So the Lord revealed to them what was going to start, what was going to start this catastrophic event so they could leave the city of Jerusalem on time. So we listened to the text. We read it already. And the central idea that we see in this text is Jesus now bringing hope to these disciples, but also re reminding them that God will take care of his chosen ones. And the second coming of the Messiah is certain. Is certain. So because of that, in the light of that, Jesus said to his disciples, the church must remember today two things, church. This is for us. The king cursed for, cho for his chosen ones. The king Curse for his chosen ones. And what else? And also, church, that we can trust that he will return for his church. We can trust on that. So we see Jesus instilling security and hope in today's text. There are two things that Jesus wants his disciples and the church to have in mind. Remember, keep that in mind. So at the end of the sermon, I hope you keep that in your mind. First, God takes care. God takes care of His own. And second, trust that Jesus will return. Okay, let's dive. Let's dive right into the first point. Remember that God takes care of His own. Verse fifteen to twenty-two. 
So when you see the abomination of, the desol of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house. And let the one who is in the field not to turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. Now and never will be. And if those days look now. How God is taking curse of his ones. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elected, those days will be cut short. Observe the pastoral care of Jesus in this text. He's not speaking here just as a mere prophet. He was a prophet. But also, Matthew has taught us already this compassionate heart that Jesus has. And now you see Jesus showing his pastoral heart, concern, his love and care for his own. Having given a brief description of the tribulation period to his return. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, Matthew introduced the phrase, let the reader understand. Jesus wasn't spoken. Nobody was reading. So it was Matthew's words. Let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The expression here important that we need to understand is the abomination of desolation. What does, what does it mean? Originally appears in the book of Daniel three times. Three times in the book of Daniel. In Daniel... It appears in Daniel 9, 27. It appears in Daniel 11, 31. And Daniel 12, 11. And this phrase could be translated literally, the abomination that causes desolation. And Daniel spoke, Daniel spoke of this abomination. It's used in the Old Testament, abomination, to designate what was not appropriated to serve to the service for the service of God and the temple at the temple, such as when animals were presented as a sacrifice. And you know what happened? Daniel 11 and Daniel 12, we have three times in Daniel. Two of them refers to a Syrian king who will bring this desolation. You know, two more than 200 centuries later, Syrian ruler. Profaned the altar, causing abomination, and ruined the sanctuary with desolation. You know the name of this guy? His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes. He was a Greek king um, who reigned over Syria for, from 175 B.C. until 164 B.C. And he is a famous for almost conquering Egypt but also for his brutal persecution of the Jews. Because of his persecution, then he precipitated the Maccabean revolt. 
that they fought again against this emperor. And let me tell you this. This man, he claimed to be a deity and oppressed Israel. In, six, in 168 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes attacked the city of Jerusalem and raised the image of Zeus in the temple. He sacrificed an, uh, a pig on the altar. You know what it means? Pigs were considered what? Unclean. And he sacrificed a pig. He raised the status of Zeus. And furthermore, he prohibited the practice of Judaism under the death penalty. I don't know if you can see Daniel says that is abomination that causes desolation. This king of Syria produced a devastating abomination, as the prophet Daniel said. And according to Maccabees, the book of Maccabees is not an inspired book. It's a book that was written in this 400 years of period. Look what First Maccabees says. And they saw the sanctuary desolated. This is a historic book. The altar profane and the gates burned. He says, they saw also the chambers of the priest in ruins. They ran their clothes and mourned with great lamentation and sprinkled themselves with ashes. So Maccabees also narrated what happened in this, with this king. Now the prophecy that Jesus is refers in Daniel 9, 26, 27 is the only text that we have. I told you we have three texts, and one is nine, Daniel 9, and two, Daniel 11, and Daniel 12, referring to the Syrian uh, king. But Daniel 9, 26, and 27 prophesied that this event, the destruction, the abomination of the temple, will happen after Jesus' death. And Jesus told his audience that it would happen in their generation. Daniel 9, 26 and 27. This is one of the texts, as I told you, that dispensationalism see as two faces, the coming of Jesus Christ. But look at the text. And after the 62 weeks, an anointing one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. You see the prophecy here? After who? The naughty one is cut off. And it's, its end shall come with a flood. And the end there shall be a war. Desolation are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put a put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is put out on the desolator. So Jesus is referring to Daniel chapter 9. Now, and his cruel death, this is happening the week that Jesus is going to die, as I mentioned, and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And Jesus is alluding to Daniel's prophecy while he's speaking at the Mount of Olives. He said, let the reader understand, Matthew says, referring to this book. What he's saying, he's saying here that the nation of Israel was going to experience a calamity similar 
to what happened in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, but far worse. And Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70, not the second coming yet. It is not something that is going to happen thousand years later as the preamble of the Lord's coming. This was a tribulation that the nation of Israel would suffer, and more particularly in the city of Jerusalem in a period of 40 years, the generation. Therefore, Jesus is very pastoral here. He's very intentional here, letting them to know that be aware, run away. If you see this happen, run away. Don't pay attention to your possessions, not even for a cloak. The time that will follow this event will be a time of great anguish, unmatched since the beginning of time. So, nothing has ever been in that way before. And Jesus is very pastoral. I want to repeat that again. He is very pastoral. He's chosen ones. He will protect them. But also, they, they, they need to know when this is going to happen. And as I mentioned last week, my intention here, of course, is not to create controversy. Controversy at all. Oh, no. I want to be faithful to the text, but also very pastoral as well. Trying to communicate what the text and the intention of Matthew is. And I said, this topic shouldn't divide us. We can come with a humble hands, open hands, with a humble posture. So, Jesus is using this to prepare and wants them to encourage them. Then Jesus is encouraged them to pray. You read it? He said, pray, verse 20, that your flight may not be in winter or Sabbath. Pray. You can see this is hard. For his people, caring for mothers and children. You can see the care he has for his people who will suffer this tribulation. And probably many people here went through this. He encouraged them. Again, when Jesus said this, 30, 33 AD, 33, and according to Jewish tradition, how many years does a generation last? 40 years. Titus, Emperor Vespasian's son, attacked the city of Jerusalem in April A.D. 70. But the city resisted the siege, the siege for a time, and they were attacked for five months by Romans. The temple was destroyed in such a way that no stone was left. He completely raised it, just as Jesus predicted 40 years before. And only three towers of the King Herod's palace remained standing. The whole temple of Jerusalem was destroyed besides the western wall. And you can go and look at the western wall if you want. There was not one stone left. And according to the historian Flavio Josephus, which is a, who is a, he was a, a Jewish historian, Many didn't flee when warned. And you know what happened? They decided to resist. And more than a million people died during the siege. More than a one million Jewish didn't pay attention to Jesus. They fought and they died. More than 97,000 of Jews who were captured and were sold as a slave. It was a total slaughter. But Jesus wants to remind you that God 
will care for his chosen ones. Once again, God cares for his chosen one. And notice an encouraging note because the Lord declares that those day wouldn't be, if, if those days wouldn't be shorter, then nobody will survive. Verse 22. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. As I mentioned, the destruction of the temple and the, this, and the tribulation on AD 70 happened before the winter at the same year. God finished it as a manifestation of the chosen ones. Jesus spoke to them in a way that they may be prepared, but also that they may trust that God will cur- curse them. You know that there is many interpretation about if this happened in a millennial, it will, if this happened in the seven years. But when you read the context of Matthew, if you were with us in Matthew 21, when the Pharisees and leaders confronted Jesus with what authority do you do, what you do, you teach what you teach. And Jesus says, I'm going to ask you a question. The baptism of John, it was what? From God or from man? They didn't respond. Well, we don't know. And Jesus said, I don't know neither. And what happened? Jesus brought three parables. Do you remember? The two sons, the first that disobeyed, and then he repented and obeyed. The other one that disobeyed, openly disobeyed it. But also the second parable, do you remember what happened? The wicked, the wicked laborers, do you remember that? They killed their son. In 21 verse 43, he said, therefore, I, will, I, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. In verse 45, they understood. He says, when they heard these things, who? The leaders, the spiritual leaders, religious, they understood that Jesus was talking about them. God will give the vineyard to whom? To the church. To produce fruits. The fruits of it. And now when Jesus believed, when, we, when Jewish were aware of this, and they didn't pay attention to this, they didn't realize that God may destroy the temple or Jerusalem because the temple was the, present, where, the place where God dwelt. Brothers, we are his chosen ones. If we are in Christ, we are his chosen one, and he will take care of you. Remember, God takes care of his own. In the present time, in the future, in trials, in tribulation, in sickness, in, um, in times of war and persecution, God cares for his people. God cares of you. And you may not feel it, you may not see it now, but we don't... We don't know when the tribulation will happen or things will gonna come to us, but we do know that through his word that God cares for his people, church family. The God who cares for his chosen ones in the past is the same God who cares for you today. If you are in Christ, you are one of the chosen ones. And you can be sure that God was going to care of us and sustain us to the end. What else? What Jesus wants to communicate as well. But just remember that God takes care of his own, but also trust that Jesus will 
return. Trust that Jesus will return. And I don't know if you are living in that way. But sometimes we are so, we are so immersed in, in our life that we forget where we belong to. We are so immersed in our struggles, crisis, situation that we forget that Jesus promised that he will return. Let's read 23. Then if anyone say to you, look, here is the Christ, or there is his, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. So as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as a delighting comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so we will be the coming, so we'll be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the bulters will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, dark, darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with loud trumpet, trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. What a wonderful promise. Don't just, don't just miss, don't, 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 don't lose the, the intention of Jesus here. It's not about all the catastrophical things that's going to happen, which is be, will be a sign for us. It's about his fulfilling his promises. The Lord warned the disciple beforehand not to be deceived. In, in, in Matthew 7, we talked about that last week. In Matthew 24, verse 5 and 11, he warns them about the false Christ and false prophets. They are, they are deceiver. Be aware of that. Be aware of that. So many false Christs were going to rise up, offering different kingdom, different message, a false kingdom, a false hopes, a false security, a false promises. And they will try to persuade even the chosen one if possible. Once again, these are deceivers who will offer to mislead you from the truth. Some will say that Christ didn't exist. Some will say that Christ is a myth. Some will say that he's a replica of other religions. Others will say that he's already come he has already come they will say that the messiah is not the one from the bible false christs are everywhere and will continue to exist until our christ return therefore christ wants to encourage you do not be fooled he will return and you will see it he makes a transition and goes to answer the second and the third question now. He's moving toward now, this direction. And as I said last week, we can defer on the details of when this event will occur. Where we cannot defer 
is in the fact that Jesus will return physically. There will be signs in heaven and on earth. The dead will rise. We will meet in the clouds with judge to judge the nation and reign with him for eternity. His coming will be like lightning that will shine from, me, from the east towards the west. And it will be a splendid and visible event. He will destroy devil, the antichrist, and the false prophet forever. The Baptist faith message of 2000 is a, is a confession that every Baptist is aligned to. It says, and this is what we are state to in the end of time. God, in his own time, in his own way, will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visible in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised, and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The righteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. The righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. That's what we live. And we may disagree in details. And I mentioned these children divide us. But here the appearance of the sign will be for all nations, all human beings that existed, exist, and will exist. According to Revelation 1.7, the sign will bring all nations to tears. And probably because they realize that the time of their judgment has come. Some believers think that the sign involved the heavenly city coming down, New Jerusalem, other the sign may be the lightning bolt, or perhaps the Lord himself. Whatever the sign is, it will be visible for all to see because the Lord will return on the clouds with power and great glory. These will be glorious days. This will be a glorious day. Are you expecting that day? Are you leaving? Are you crying out for Jesus' second return? Look how Jesus continues to encourage his disciples and his church today. With he, all the authority he has, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds. From one end of heaven to the other. This involves the gathering of those who will be his chosen one. Brothers and sisters, have you realized that you are in that group of people? You are here, but you will be there. This is a unique promise for you. For you. I'll, be, I'll be gathered by the angels. He will call my name. And then if I am dead, I will be resurrected. I will rise from death, and I will be united with his church, every believer from the past, present, and future. And your name is there if you're in Christ. He will gather his chosen ones. None of his chosen ones will be lost. None of his chosen one will be lost. How do we know, how do we know that, Moses? He did it. He said it. He said it. John chapter 10. Verse 27, pay attention, read it. This is you. You are in this text. You are in this text. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them an eternal life, and they will never, never, never what? 
perish. This is you and me. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Brother, you are here in this text. You are here in this text. No one will snatch you out of his hand. So when he comes again and he calls us, you will be there. Hey, good to see you. Are you expecting for that day? Are you? Are you? This is the news of the gospel. He who has this, the Son, has eternal, eternal life. If you have the Son, you have eternal life. And now life may, may look like messy. But let me tell you this. He promised he will come back and he will. He saved us and holds us in his hands until his return. I am in his hands. My life may look messy today, but if I am in Christ, I am in his hand. I may be struggling with sins, but if I am in his hands, he will sanctify me. And you know what? He will sustain me till the end. Brothers and sisters, it will be a glorious meeting, and I hope to see you there. That's today's message, brothers and church family. For you to have the same peace of mind. God cares for his children and Christ will return for his church. God, when you come out of this door, just keep that. Loop on that, real, that truth. God cares for his children and Christ will return for his church. The promise of his coming should fill us with hope for several reasons. First, we will live with him forever and ever. You know what is the most important thing about his return? It's Christ himself. <laughs> Not that you will be walking in the clouds or something like that. No, it's Christ himself. It's the most important thing of his second coming. And you're going to see him face to face. The second good news is this. There will be no more crying or pain. There will, not be, there will be no more cancer. There will be no poverty. There will be no more hungers, wars. There will not be more COVID, no pain, no infidelity, no death. He will restore all things. And one of the things that get me excited about is the idea that when he returns, there will be no sin or intention to sin. Not a struggle anymore with sins. What a wonderful promise. Are you excited about the idea of knowing that the coming of the Lord is sure? Let me invite you to do this. Today, when you go into the table, gather with your family friends. Ask each other, how can we be prepared? Are we training our children for the end time? Are we training them to be prepared for the tribulations, the persecution? What if, what if, what if? Are you, are you spending time to train your family, train yourself to, to be aware of the false teachers 
and not be deceived and fooled by them. So when you gather today, ask this question, how can we, how can we? Are we protecting our families from false teachers? Are we preparing our families for the encounter with Jesus? Church, do you, know, do you understand why we gather every Sunday? Church, I know there is some cultural aspect that you know, things change every week. But brother and sister, if you have the opportunity to come every single day to worship his name, his holy name, it will be an expression of you understanding that his second coming is here. And every time we gather and we worship his name and we listen to his boy, we are just getting ready. You are coming. We are celebrating two things. He's alive and he's coming. <laughs> That's what we do every Sunday. Don't miss one of these meetings. And if you are here visiting and you don't have Christ and you want to know more about this Jesus and his return, talk to one of us. Let me tell you the good news. If you are not in Christ, judgment will come. And the second coming. And God has provided a venue, one only way to save you from the wrath of God. God himself gave his life. And he's asking you to what? To repent of your sins and confess that he's Lord and your Savior. May God give you eyes to see your need of Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. And may God move your spirit to run to him and bow your life to him. Church, he said that he would die. He died. He said that he would rise on the third day. He rose. He said that he would return. And you know what? He will. Let's pray.